kind of a lesson in when you're when you're in career there's kind of not that you'd have to be not be nice to everybody but just do know that sometimes your opportunities will come from people unexpectedly like the guys on the competing company, the competitive business down the street, like someone seeing what you do in action might be a customer, might be a client, might be the competitor who offers you a job based on the quality of work you do. What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life? Understandably, a tough question for any 20-something to answer. So join me, your host, Taylor Marks of the Rise Year Podcast, as I talk with some cool people about what they do and occasionally go on long rants of my own about the pains of growing up. (laughs) Today's guest is Kelly Hoey, speaker and author of the book, Build Your Dream Network. I'm a former attorney, but I've also been a, let me see, interim chief marketing officer for a startup. I co-founded a startup accelerator. I've worked in law firm management, both training attorneys as well as building on a women's initiative and working in marketing in a law firm and uh, found my dream career very unexpectedly later in life. So I live in Manhattan. I'm Canadian. That's who I am. Short and sweet. I love it. There we go. We'll kind of backtrack and then work our way to where you are now. So you studied law. What what was that period of your life? Because in 2009, it says something happened where you kind of like changed your life. What was everything leading up to 2009 where your life was changed? So when I look back, like, so I graduated from, I would say high school and went off to undergraduate back in the stone age. And so that would be in like 1983. So you think about that time period, if you were even alive then, that you didn't have the same ways to kind of explore what career options and, and what sort of the broad horizon is. And you really rely on your, your close network, your family to encourage you. And I grew up in Victoria, British Columbia. We used to joke growing up, newlyweds and nearly deads, a lot of tourism and retirees, and a beautiful part of the world, but there's very kind of, and my parents fell into that paradigm of like what was sort of appropriate. So I got an undergraduate degree in political science and economics, because don't want to go too crazy with that undergraduate degree, though I did love the, what was it, my Russian literature class and the Russian cinematography class. That was a good one too. Things that you could just do to explore and think and all of that. And then I did a legislative internship between graduating and going off to law school. And going off to law school, in spite of so many people in my family going, oh, we knew you'd always do this. That was, I did it because it was expected. It was expected that I would go to university and it was expected that I go, would go to university right after graduating from high school. And then it was expected that I would get a graduate degree. And by kind of default and thinking, I didn't want to do the things for medical school. It wasn't of interest and too many prerequisites and things for MBAs that I was like, let's just go to law school. Let's just do that. And then that was all on the West Coast moved to Toronto, and that just sort of started to kind of open my eyes. I ended up practicing law in an area that I never studied in law school. Did a lot of banking and insolvency work, which was great fun, as morbid as that may sound. It actually was fun. 
Oh yeah. Well, so yeah, it was because, so I was doing corporate, so not personal bankruptcy. That would not be fun. It was corporate bankruptcy in the bankruptcy code legislation in Canada basically is, is a lot faster than in a lot shorter time period that you're allowed to be in bankruptcy than in the United States. So it was really fast. You have to be in and out of bankruptcy in corporate in, in 12 months. So it was like, boom, like, so you were, it was kind of deal making, but there was a lot of negotiation and wrangling because you knew you only had this limited period of time. You couldn't do like Lehman Brothers and sort of four years later, they're still in bankruptcy. It's like, no, 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 that does not happen. So it was, it was kind of fun. And it was a combination of corporate and litigation. So it kind of, when there was kind of the, the wheelers and dealers and the cowboys who were doing this kind of work. And I'll say it, I walk into court, there'd be 200 lawyers and there'd be two women. So you, you'd kind of stand out and you could make your name for yourself. So it was, it was fun. It was, it was really fun. And I was at a firm in particular for two years of that legal practice that really gave a lot of responsibility to their associates to build their careers and build their, I want to say their business kind of acumen and, and business relationships to grow their own practice. And that kind of one of those lessons I sort of think for other people is you think about, right, where, where do I need to be successful? Besides work I enjoy, what are the other elements in a work environment or a role that I need? And then move to New York did a lot of banking law, did work for like four years and that, and then I decided I needed to make a change. I sat and made a list, kind of like, uh, all right, the pros and the cons. All right, what, what do I enjoy about my work day? And I kind of wrote down a list and then was like, what can I do with this? What is the, what's the skill set? What's the environment? What could it be? went on some interviews for other legal jobs and was like, no, it's time to leave this. Time to leave this because just changing employer and doing the same work after a couple of interviews at other places, I was like, time out. This is not what I want to do. And that's when I decided to make a wholesale career switch. But at this, I was still looking in the legal profession and looking to say, all right, I was an attorney. How can my attorney skills be worked into management and law firms? So you see, I was still on that very narrow kind of sort of like stay in your swim lane. Don't look anywhere else. Like I still had a very narrow view of my skill set and where it could belong. So fast forward to 2009, I got very involved with a global business network for women. It was a membership network create your profile, you know, slide your credit card, become a member. But so joined like anyone else, but I became very, very involved in the organization and volunteered and got involved. And it was approximately, yeah, eight or nine months into my being a member that the founder of the organization called me and she wanted to know who I was and what I did. And I told her, and I was heading up an alumni program for a global law firm. And at the end of the hour long phone call, she said to me, would you think about bringing that skill set you have and doing what you're doing? Would you think about coming and doing it for me? I will make you president of the global network. And it was life changing because here was someone who saw a bigger platform 
for my skills and had it like held up a mirror for me to see a bigger version of myself than I had ever imagined. So do you think you were kind of like waiting for someone else to like grant you permission to kind of transition out of law? Like you'd put yourself in law kind of based on the parameters that your family had set when you were growing up and it just seemed like the way to go. And then somebody else was like, hey, like let's let's jump and use these over here. Yeah, I think there was an element I, I, because I, I had looked at and had been approached by other firms, but they were like consulting firms and, and accounting firms that sort of like, hey, you could come and do this over for us and maybe some corporate. But I think at some point that dream and possibility of doing something that like outside of a very kind of small range, I think that had kind of been shut down. Oh, I, I, it's sort of one of the things I, I, I ponder because you realize how influenced you can be by the immediate network and well-meaning, right? Your, your family wants the best for you. They want when they're, maybe they're projecting their own career fears or disappointments, but they can kind of cage you into something rather than letting you let your, kind of spread your wings and see where it may take you. So was that like a very freeing moment when you made that transition then? Oh no, it was scary as, insert your favorite profanity right there, it was scary as no one's business. Because I also, here's the other piece of it, I not only completely, well it was scary, there's two pieces of it, but the big scary part is, I left having a paycheck to only accepting equity. So it was a massive flyer, trusting in my own skill set, trusting that all the ideas I had actually would work rather than just being spouting off good ideas. Being able to walk away from a paycheck. But that's one of the things I had sort of set myself up for. I often say to people when I'm asked for career advice, it's like, build your expertise, right? And your expertise could be being a lifelong learner, being curious, someone who has great soft skills, someone who is adaptable. Like, it's not like, oh, gee, I have to be a lawyer. Uh, it also, I said, build your expertise, build your network, you know, because your ideas, your skills without a network, you're leaving your career vulnerable. If you don't continuously build relationships who will help you throughout your career. And then the third piece of career advice I say to people is build your bank account. This could be financial. This could also be the bank account where you can barter and exchange with other people. Like, I need a website. Okay, you need your house cleaned. I'll clean your house, you build my website. Like, it could be that kind of a bank account. But having the bank account allowed me to take a career risk that would otherwise not have been possible. What skills did you have to turn on? Maybe not on, you had them, but maybe they were kind of sitting idle that you didn't really have to, have to really dip into when you were working as a lawyer and like in the whole law industry itself, that when you made this big transition, you now had to like reorganize yourself and figure out how you were going to, cause you weren't getting paid with a paycheck. Yeah, a lot of managing up, which was interesting. And then how you manage and influence people when you're, you're president of, in essence, a volunteer organization. 
Because, you know, members pay, and a lot of the chapters for this women's business group were run by volunteer members. So how do you motivate, encourage volunteers? So that, that was new. When I was a lawyer, I could just, I could just be bossy. And that just doesn't work. <laughs> you took that position, and then where did that lead you? That year that I was president, because I, I could have done it, that job, been president of this organization for as long as I wanted, but after a year it had really whet my appetite in terms of, I would say, doing my own thing, not going back to a nine to five. I left and then I kind of explored, but it can, when I left and, and I had been exposed to through the net, that business network, so many more different industries and possibilities from consulting to startups to not-for-profit like it was it was a full like kind of buffet of career like women in different kinds of careers so there was all sorts of things for me to explore but also all sorts of people who had seen me in action so I think about people who are listening like to your podcast kind of the lessons is we're presented with opportunities in life like joining a committee, joining a club, being part of a network. And we can just join and kind of passively be there. Or we can use it as an opportunity to develop and showcase our skills. And we do that by rolling up our sleeves and getting the work done. So when I was just a member of that global business network, I mean, I did not have a half complete online profile. They had an opportunity for people to blog. So I blogged. Like if there was a tool there for me to contribute and use, I used it. So, so many people had seen what I could do and not just me saying, I'm a team player. Like think of things you put on a resume. I'm a team player. I'm this. I'm a lifelong learner. I showed it by my actions. So about a year after leaving that, and I had done consulting and project work here and there, I was approached by a couple of women who had an idea for a startup accelerator. And they told people about their idea and they realized they needed a third co-founder. And every time they talked to someone about the skill set they were looking for and the attributes they were looking for in the third co-founder, everyone said to them, oh, you, you should talk to Kelly Hoey. You should talk to Kelly Hoey. And so that's why I'm sort of like, I think about people like, oh my God, how am I going to network? Like, get involved in things. Don't sit on the sideline. You don't have to go and try and have informational interviews and stuff like let people see you in action and then that word of mouth of people recommending you like we overlook that and that was hugely powerful and they kept hearing it from a variety of networks so that was the other good thing about being involved in a network that was filled with all sorts of different people they didn't just talk to these two other co-founders they didn't just talk to startup folks they talked to like they talked to anybody they knew and everyone kept saying yeah you need to talk to kelly <laughs> you're kind of like carry into that so what advice would you give then? Because there's there's a million different forms of networking. You've got LinkedIn, you've got Twitter, you've got in, well, Instagram, I guess, yeah. is what you're doing. But, and a slew of others, which can seem very overwhelming to people who have no idea where to begin. So how do you kind of narrow in your focus and maybe try and own like one or two and then like maybe expand past that? Yeah. So thinking of your listeners... Any of the platforms you're using for your personal, I would say check your 
check your privacy settings, particularly when you're interviewing. When I was in professional development and I had an incoming class of new attorneys, my summer intern, their first job was to Google all of the incoming attorneys to see if there was anything that I needed to have a little discussion with them about. (laughs) Because I wanted to find any of the crap before the partners in the firm did. So I could say, please take down that post or please change your privacy settings or this would be a career eliminating move. If you left this up here, this is not gonna go over well. Like, yeah, so my summer intern, that was one of their jobs. And I think he was quite relieved when he came to me the one time we had a associate whose name was the same name as a stripper. And I'm like, no, that's not our girl. Don't worry. Some of the stuff that's like truly personal, like put a little fence around it. Like I know people like to share things with the world, but if you're interviewing, if you're looking for jobs, realize that someone else may interpret the banter, the conversations, the posts, the humor in a way that's not in your favor. And just be cognizant of that. For anyone with respect to careers in wanting to be found for jobs and opportunities, you gotta have a full LinkedIn profile. It doesn't mean like you have to be hanging out there 24 seven because that would be really, it's like being sent to the principal's office and sitting on a hard chair outside of the, I know LinkedIn is trying, but I, I still feel like an attorney when I get on it. Like I feel like I have to starch my shirt and brush my hair and pro- put on proper shoes, even in the Zoom era when I get on LinkedIn. It's because, but it's the professional network. And if you Google your name, it'll be one of the first things that shows up because of its page search ranking. So it behooves you to have a very professional, appropriate for LinkedIn kind of, kind of old school, full profile there. And then as you're thinking about opportunities and if you're thinking about where do I find maybe interest on careers and what I want to do, I mean, every, so many platforms have social layers on them where you can see how people in the industry, like maybe what they're interested in, how they banter, whatever. And this is where I'd say on platforms, you're not even thinking about it. Follow hashtags for things you're interested in or seek them out. Uh, and one of those great story a recruiter told me is like Peloton. People find each other by Peloton and their profession, like Peloton lawyers. And then they create Facebook groups somewhere else. And this like, but you could connect with people in your profession around an interest. Say you're really into rowing or whatever it may be, but don't like, I'd see, think outside the box in terms of where you can look and see and understand how people in a particular industry or sector, how they interact, how they engage. Would you suggest picking like one or two and like really focusing on those rather than going to like five or 10 and trying to put in minimal effort in those? Well, I mean, what I would do, okay, first of all, I would like LinkedIn, you gotta, you gotta have your profile and, and invest there. If we're just talking about the networks for your career. And then I think you could use other things and you could explore the same way. And this is the same advice, Taylor, that I would give if someone's like, okay, where do I spend my like in-person physical networking time? Was it an organization? Is it a chamber of commerce? Is it a student group? Is it a fill in the blank what it is? I'm like, sometimes you have to kind of go in, pop in and check them out, see how groups engage, see what the dynamic is, and then see 
if it will be helpful for you. Like, do you like the people? Do you like the way they introduce? Are they helpful? Does this seem interesting? Like, what's going on? Like, so much in networking, we think we have to jump in and get involved. And there is an element of that. Once you find a place, you should be involved. But there's a huge element of networking, which is just watching and observing. So there may be some time that you need to be on a bunch of platforms to watch and observe and then decide where you go and do a deep dive. So like, for example, Clubhouse. Clubhouse would, could, could be a good one just to go initially and just bounce around and listen. I'm, I was on Clubhouse the other night and saw someone I knew from Twitter and it was a conversation of, I want to say, young black women who were in the wine industry and how they, what they're doing in the wine. I'm not in the wine industry. I am not young. I am a woman. I am not a woman of color, but damn, it was a great conversation. I, I, I had so much fun listening to it. Right? So, but also too, if I was a young person thinking about careers, you know, this panel of five, four or five women who are really into the wine industry now and what they're doing with blogging and writing and becoming experts in the wine industry and how they're deciding where their niche is. If I was thinking about, wow, how could I use that to approach maybe a career as a sports blogger or like you could just kind of hearing what they're doing to create their own careers, regardless of what you want to do, was really interesting and how they're investing in their own professional development. So that's why I'm like some of this stuff, it's like you might just want to watch and observe. I mean, that's the benefit of Clubhouse. You can pop in, leave quietly, check out something else. Explore. I mean, maybe that's the biggest thing. Explore, because I so didn't do that early on. Would you say that would be like, I don't know if you're a fan of the word regret or not, but like looking back on when you were in your 20s or you were deciding on which path to go for, for schooling, like you didn't take the time to kind of like sit with yourself and figure out which direction like you truly wanted to go in? Yeah, it was, I mean, sometimes it was a bit of a different era when I think back when I grew up like, the idea of like, if you said you worked from home when I was growing up, you someone would probably think, oh my God, what's wrong with them? They work from home, they work <laughs> from home, right? But now it's like, whoa, works from home. I mean, people saying they had a home-based business back in, when I was younger, you'd be like, oh, well, that's because they can't get a job. That's home-based business kind of stuff. So that element has so completely changed, but not having the support to feel you could explore. My, I remember my mother in particular thought it was like a crisis when one of my good friends from high school took a year off before going to college and she was an au pair in Paris for a year. Like somehow her career in life was going to be ruined because of this. And I was like, it, it, now in hindsight, I'm like, careers are long. You know, my only, honestly, Taylor, my only, when I think back of the things I truly had control of, in my 20s when I was practicing law, I wish I had spent more time kind of just enjoying the job rather than worrying about whether or not my career was progressing as fast as some other people in the profession. You know, I think we sometimes kind of get that compare-itis in terms of we choose things and other than under, rather than understanding that your career unfolds as your career should. like. If it's not running at the same pace as somebody else, well, that's okay, right? Like, what is it that you want to do? And maybe it's just not 
the right time to unfold. And maybe there is something else that is better that is waiting for you. I remember being very frustrated when I was in law firm management, not feeling I got the support and all the rest of it. But maybe if I'd been loved and supported in my role in law firm management, I'd still be in law firm management. <laughs> that would be a shame for everyone. I mean, you'd be living your dreams, so I guess it would be good, but you wouldn't yeah. be able to share your wisdom and kind of gotten to do what you do now, which is helping yep. people. So. One of the questions I kind of like to ask people is what was deemed in your life, an event or an experience? It can be either of which, like what at the time did you deem a failure or someone else maybe externally deemed it a failure that looking back maybe isn't quote unquote like a success, but it was like a huge learning point for you. Oh, so there was a time, the first law firm that I was working at where they didn't think I was progressing as well as I could. And they wanted to, so there's very much lockstep advancement in a law firm. Everyone gets the same salary when you come in as a first year and it just, it's lockstep promotion. And so they didn't think I was progressing as well as I could. And I had a really kind of uncomfortable and unpleasant performance review. And they were like, we're going to have to take remedial action. You're now going to work for this guy now and all this kind of stuff. And it was really, really demoralizing. And I was like, fine, like I'll commit to this job and I will do this. But I was really unhappy about it. But I was, I was, like I said, I was committed to the career at the time and all right, this is what it means to, to keep my job. This is what I'll do. And it was just as an aside, Every time I sort of had to make career changes and stuff in my life has been a time of economic uncertainty or recession. So I feel for anyone who's looking for a job right now, because I graduated from high school, there was a recession. I graduated from undergraduate, there was a recession. Graduated from law school, there was a recession. Changed jobs in a recession. Anyway, so I was kind of like nervous. I was like, all right, I'll do whatever, I have to get, keep the job. And then I got a call from opposing counsel on a matter I had worked on and it had been a big bankruptcy matter and opposing counsel called and he said I couldn't tell you this when we were on the big matter but now that it's over we have a job opening and we'd like you to apply so I then went and interviewed at this other firm got the job got to give my notice at my first firm and it was kind of great because the firm that offered me the job, the opposing counsel, way better law firm. <laughs> so I was not, so the, the other firm that had kind of demoralized me and, and like I was feeling totally like a loser, like, like really inadequate and thinking, how am I going to pick up my skills and keep this job? And then I get a job offer from a much better firm. So yeah. Hey. It's the magic that happens. You just let it roll out and see where it takes you. <laughs> right. And this, you know, kind of a lesson in when you're, when you're in career, there's kind of not that you'd have to be, not be nice to everybody, but just do know that sometimes your opportunities will come from people unexpectedly, like the guys on the competing company, the competitive business down the street, like someone seeing what you do in action might be a customer, might be a client, might be the competitor who offers you a job based on the quality of work you do. 
So how'd you become, I'm gonna call you the networking queen. I don't know if anyone's ever told you, called you that, but the networking queen and having a podcast and being kind of a public figure and writing a book, everything that encompasses that. So the book came about, because I never imagined writing a book. I grew up reading a lot of novels, a lot of novels by, my mother was, went back to school and was studying one of her classes, I think it was like a Canadian literature class. And I was reading Margaret Atwood and Robertson Davies and Farley Moe, like just like wonderful storytellers, Michael Ondaatje, Alice Monroe. Anyway, reading these books, kind of the Canadian version of Maya Angelou and all this kind of stuff, like I'm reading all this stuff. So if you said write a book, I'm like, I can't write that. But it was in 2014 and two authors, Writing books on networking approached me for insights because they said, well, Kelly, you're kind of like, you're, and I was sort of like, hold on a minute here. If I'm the networker's networker, like if I'm the person they turn to for networking advice, maybe I should just write the book. And so that's how that started. And all at once, once I said that and that idea was planted, it was like, it was an obsession. Like I had, to, like it was the only thing I had to do. I had to write the book. What was the process like writing it then for you? Well, I had sort of to back up, I had been blogging and writing and doing kind of panels and public speaking in various forms and iterations. And so when I look back, I realized I kind of had been setting the groundwork in terms of finding my writing style, finding my voice, creating platforms to kind of spread the gospel of Kelly, so to speak. But when I actually got the publishing contract with Penguin Random House and my editor said to me, can you deliver the manuscript? And the date she gave was four and a half months later. Exactly, yeah, like, oh my. I remember we were on a call. No, it was, maybe it was, it was a call and my literary agent was texting me as she's on the call as well with the publisher. And the, I just remember one of the texts from my literary agent was, get writing. <laughs> but this was, this is, you sort of think like, where do your various skills from sort of a, a hodgepodge career uh, and pieces. Where do all these things come together? I had no worries about the manuscript delivery date, even though I'd never written a book because my, after jobs is in retail and all those kinds of things you do before you start your career, that first career as a lawyer, my work delivery dates were, del were kind of driven by clients. And so when I was given a f kind of four months, four and a half months to write my book, four months, I just looked at it as the client just gave me the closing date. I don't know how, I didn't know how I was going to get to the closing date, but I was going to get to the, the manuscript would be delivered on the closing date. Hey, I like it. You got some dedication. There's a little fire burning. You're chasing it. You're not going to let it touch you. <laughs> But it's just like, what, what, what's the date? Where does the product next get to be? Like, when does it have to be delivered? Fine. I can't tell you what that four month structure was going to look like. I had no idea how I was going to write a book. I didn't know if I would write it linearly. I didn't like, I had no idea, but all I knew was I, there was a very detailed outline and a deadline and it would happen.
Okay. All right. So then what about networking? Because it said, I like wrote down a little snippet. I think I saw on LinkedIn. It was like, you're trying to rebrand networking. What do you mean by that? Well, you just say the word and people have a very out of date. And I would have said this pre 2020, they have a very out of date notion what it is. When we say networking or we say to someone, go out and network, you think you have to go and talk to a bunch of strangers. And probably in some sort of uncomfortable auditorium environment with a sticker name tag or some name tag with a pin that you got you don't want to pin through your clothing. And inevitably they if there's food involved, you got some crappy little paper plate, some food on a stick, you're trying to hold whatever you're drinking and someone introduces themselves and you're trying to shake their hand. No. No, no, no. Like just, if that's what you think networking is, flush it, just get rid of it. And I think about networking as every single human interaction. And part of the reason I think of it that way goes back to being an attorney and my career starting at a time, well, at a time we had far fewer of the tools that we have today, but I realized when I, my career started that there was a fundamental tension in the legal industry. You are rewarded financially for two things, the numbers of hours you bill and the number of clients you bring in. So you're having to spend a lot of time working, but you're supposed to build relationships. But how do you build relationships if you're stuck behind your desk all the time because you should be billing? Like you see, there's a massive tension there. So I thought, okay, if I want to succeed, I need to build relationships. What are the ways I'm interacting with people when I'm stuck to my desk? I'm making phone calls. I'm leaving voicemail. I'm sending email. I'm sending memos. I'm hosting meetings with clients. I'm hosting meetings, attending meetings with partners. All right, this is part of my networking arsenal. You know, do I show up on time for a meeting? Do I have do I have notes? Do I do the follow-up from the meeting? Do like what does that project and say about me? Can I pay attention to nuances with the client so I can understand how to communicate and engage with them better? If they share a piece of personal information, I don't know, a birthday, an anniversary, whatever, can I remember that and send a card? Like little things like that. Can my email signature line have my, my contact information properly? The number of people who send me like things with something in their email signature line and then the link doesn't work. I'm like, come on, come on, right? You think about people who put a quote in their signature line. Well, it might just say something about them. They, they, they're into Winston Churchill. I don't know, like, like whatever. Like I saw one that I really liked. It was, I know someone put, they said, stay positive and test negative. Um, and that's what they put on their signature line. And I thought, I like that. That's awesome. Right. But that tells you a lot about that person. So all of a sudden, if you're like, oh, all of this stuff, every text, tweet, post, right. Every headshot, Google search results, picture in high school, annual, like all of that stuff is part of your networking arsenal. And so if you look at that, it's kind of scary, but it's sort of awesome too, because 
the numbers of times you could avoid awkward talking to strangers networking, the better, in my view. Have you always been like a person who was more extroverted and had kind of like a higher emotional intelligence? No? Maybe the emotional intelligence, but not the extrovert part. So I like to say to people, don't assume a certain personality is a good networker or network builder. Just because someone may have the gift of the gab, be the life of the party, be the person you want to invite to every wedding so you can stick them at the table with all the awkward people who don't have anything to say, right? Like, don't assume that person is a good networker. They're a great socializer. They might be a great host. Great networkers, in my mind, are intentional, deliberate, focused, generous, purposeful. And in writing my book, I interviewed people I thought were really great networkers and really great network builders because I had seen how their, their lives and careers had been transformed or how they moved up the ladder, how they crowdfunded, how they, how they set their eyes on a goal and how they made it happen. And most, and when I say most, we're talking like 70, 80% of the people I interviewed in my book are introverts. But there's actually a scale. We've always been led to believe there's one or the other. You're introverted. It's more of a sliding scale. And there is a category called ambiverts. I am one. We sit there right in the middle. And depending, because we get our energy from other people, depending on who we're surrounded with, we're either tuning up and displaying like an extrovert, or we are so damn happy to have our mobile phone so we can stuff our face in it and get the heck out of there. I think that's a very interesting point. I've never kind of heard it referenced like that. And I think it does make a lot of sense, even if I relate it back to my own parents. Like my mom's a very successful businesswoman, but she's not the one to kind of own the stage with like her jokes and stuff. She's very, she's quiet, but she knows when to like throw a punch in and people will listen rather than my dad, as much as I love this man. He literally tries to walk in and just like take over the show and just be very obnoxiously funny sometimes. And he thinks everybody's going to laugh at his jokes, but like most of the time they won't really hit. And so like I grew up like watching this dynamic and I think that influenced a lot of how I treat people and how I try and navigate a situation. And what you're saying definitely makes sense of how I try and do it, like walking in and being able to read a room and figure out like, do I, does this person need to kind of own the space more and I'll kind of step back and then I like can read when to like actually step in. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like just sort of figure out why, like you always want to figure out why you're walking into a room of strangers or why you're taking on, it's like, where does this fit into life and why am I here? And yeah, kind of getting the lay of the land so that you can engage because part of our goal with networking is to be heard, not just seen, right? Like you think about, this is not like vanity metrics on social media and becoming an influencer. I need to be seen. This is about being heard. So that's you got to tune in your active listening skills. You got to lean in and be interested in what other people are saying so that they'll lean in and be interested in what you're doing. Your interest for me with networking is creating a relationship, not a one and done transaction 
Oh, I got a job. Oh, yeah, I went to the Chamber of Commerce junior members meeting and I didn't meet anyone and it was useless. No, you went once, right? You had one time, like, go back again. Were you helpful to other people? You, you, like, any interaction be the, should be the chance to start a relationship. And what you do with it is kind of up to you. It's a couple of things I want to think about, and, 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 and it falls into this whole idea of like rebranding networking. So old networking was kind of schmoozing with strangers, and if someone made an introduction for you, you're feeling like you're obligated to make an introduction for them, and like just seriously put a timeout on all of that. And, and also we think, thought about networking as, and really put a timeout on this, we really thought about it like up the food chain. Like you have to, like someone with gray hair like mine, who's got a big fancy important title on a business card, like that's who you should be networking with. Really put a timeout on that. You don't know where your opportunity is gonna come from. It could come from a friend. It could come from, in my, one of my cases, it came from an intern four years after she interned for me. So your opportunity, I've already had an, a boss who was like 30 years younger than me. So your opportunity at any time can come from anyone, anywhere. So this is why it behooves you to show up every day in a way that builds your reputation that people want to help you. When you do have those kind of more structured, like an informational interview, when someone says, I'm happy to do a speed mentoring session with you, that kind of thing, you're, the networking exchange, as I look at it, is showing up prepared, honoring the time they have given you, being ready with the questions you wanna ask, following up and thanking them for it. That's it. You don't, if someone says, yeah, I know someone who's hiring and give me your resume and what? Don't even give me your resume. Send it to them. Tell them I sent you, right? And say you get the, you send your resume. Say you talk to the person, you get the job, right? Your only networking mistake would be not keeping the person who made the lead, gave you the lead or made the reference, keeping them in the loop. When someone says they don't want to chase you down to find out, did you get the, did you have an interview? Was the person responsive? Did you get a job? They don't want to do that. That's on your obligation. So your networking exchange is not another introduction or a job lead. It's just being courteous, which sadly, most people don't do. <laughs> so you can really stand out by doing quite minimal, quite minimal amount of stuff in the grand scheme of things. So an example in the last year, and a friend was telling me this story, she's very senior in a private equity firm here in New York, very senior women on Wall Street and in the finance sector. Because of the pandemic and everyone working from home, she's actually had the chance to do speed mentoring for women in the industry that she hasn't had the chance to in the past. And she did like 50 speed mentoring sessions in the past year, which was huge. Three people emailed to thank her. Three out of 50. It should have been 50 out of 50. The three who emailed thank you, I have not followed up to find out. Like, the thank you is common courtesy and decency. Like, a follow-up email, a thank you note. Even though if you say thank you at the end of the Zoom, 
you, you, you send an email and you say thank you. You want to build a relationship? You want to have more than one nice conversation? If that person gave you some really good advice, like the three people who actually did say thank you, they really wanted to have a mentor and someone watching their career for life, they'd think about what they had in the conversation with my friend, some advice they applied, and they'd email and they'd let her know what they did with that advice. Because then she'd email back and say, that's great. Is there anything else I can help you with? What else is going on right now? Like, that's how you build a relationship. That's how you get your mentor. That's how you get the unlisted job opportunities. So if you've had the chance to have an informational interview, if you didn't say thank you, correct that now. If you didn't follow up with the person who made the introduction or the lead, follow up with them now and admit you're, you're failing and not letting them know earlier. The person you had the interview with, reach out to them and let them know what you've done with their guidance or inspiration, advice, what you've done since you had that conversation. Like life is busy, people, people drop the ball, but you can see that if you start kind of just doing some of your everyday interactions a little better and some of these great opportunities that you have that maybe a teacher or a professor will you know, give you a lead or do whatever, being a little nicer to the folks in the career services office, you know, all of a sudden people are more responsive and are more helpful. No one is going to hand it to you. Right? This is where take your kind of courtesy and how you would want people to behave with you, apply it in your own actions. Oh, tons and tons of good advice here. If you had a book written about you, what would the title of the book be? On the Bus with Henry. And I say that because it was a very silly night with my friend Henry in New York. And we texted a mutual friend in Mexico City. And I said, I'm on the bus with Henry. And she says, that sounds like the name of your, the title of your autobiography. <laughs> that was so quick too, like right away. So I feel like that book has a future potential then, a few years down the road. Yeah, or, or the only other book I think I'd write is, I'll take the silver platter now. Cause I think we always want stuff handed to us on a silver platter. And I've really had to work for everything. And so I'm like, there's some point in life, I will just take something on a silver platter. Like, please, it would be great. Just hand it to me. <laughs> but on the bus with Henry. All right. But if you had 30 to 60 seconds to describe to a complete stranger who came up to you on the side of the street and asked what you did, what would you say? I help other people succeed. That's like short, but powerful with a little punch. Yeah. So I always like elevator pitches. I always like to say to people, have a very short first sentence and then insert a big pause. Okay. There's time to give an elevator pitch or something like when you're on stage, but if you're talking to another human being and they say, what do you do? Have a five or six words and then insert a big pause. So they can look at you and say, tell me more. And you can have a conversation as opposed to just spitting words on them. So to kind of carry off onto that, do you, if somebody asks what you do, do you kind of embody Kelly as a human being, or do you just go directly to what people typically assume when they ask what you do, and that's your career or your job title? Well, the benefit of being an author is you say to people, I'm an author, they want to talk to you. 
and they're interested in it. When I was a lawyer, you could see like the eyes glaze over. But having been in the startup world, I sort of too many people I see, as soon as you ask them what they do, they, they launch into sort of a rehearsed monologue that is really alienating. And so I think thinking about students, people searching for work, rather than saying, hey, I'm looking for a job, I'm really interested in, yeah, what do you do? Well, I'm pursuing my interest in, like, find, find a way to craft the start of who you are that it creates a dialogue. Okay, I like that. That's a very unique yeah. and kind of fun way to look at the slaw that it kind of has become in a way. Yeah, because it can be humiliating when you're, when you're out of work. What do you do? Oh, I'm unemployed. I'm searching for opportunities in, right? I'm, I'm graduating with, what do you do? I am pursuing my lifelong interest in whatever it may be. Oh yeah, I'm a student. I've got two more years of school. Like now you can have a conversation with someone and maybe that conversation will lead to something interesting. A friend of mine used to, as he joked, he used to introduce himself as an investment banker. And of course, everyone's eyes would glaze over. And now when people say, what do you do? He says, I make startup founders rich. <laughs> and they're like, hey, whoa, whoa, hold on a minute. What do you do? He's like, I got a boutique investment banking firm that takes media. And then you, you, see, you see how that exchange works. So that's why I, when I think about all the pieces of my career, though, in all honesty, from lawyer and professional development and all these things, when I sort of think, all right, how do these disparate pieces I graduated and am of an age that people had like one career. Like two, when I started my career back in 1991 in law, there was four of us hired by the, the law firm. Two of them are still there. I think that's like so weird, but even at my age, I think that's weird. So I hope they're not listening to this. It's weird. Christine and Dirk, it's weird. You should have changed firms by now. Anyway, for, for, all of us were going to have a multitude of jobs. And at some point, someone may look at this and go, whoa, 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 right? What does this all mean? And you might be thinking, how am I going to explain this? So this is sort of thinking about like, what is kind of in the Simon Sinek, what's your why? And helping other people achieve what they want to achieve when I look at when I was a lawyer, helping my clients achieve their outcome they wanted to achieve, when I was guiding other people's career, helping them that way. So when I start looking at you know, the work I was doing with startups, investing in startups, I'm like, ah, right. All of this, even though they look very different, still shine towards the same North Star for me. And that's how I can make sense of all the disparate pieces. Okay. Yes. I mean, it makes sense when you look at it, when you kind of frame it like that. Yeah. You've had quite a journey. You had 24 hours to live, unlimited money, and could travel anywhere at the snap of your fingers and bring whoever you wanted. What would you do? Ooh. God, it would be nice to travel. <laughs> That's all I'm thinking at the moment. Wow. 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 I probably want my godchildren with me. And it would probably, pro like, what is calling me as we say this? I think I'd want to see a sunrise over the savannah in Africa. 
Yeah. There's something about kind of waking up and elephants and that beauty of that continent that I would, I think I'd, I'd, I think that's what I'd want. Okay. All yeah. right. But I would just like to get on a damn plane. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could have an 24 hours to live, I, economy, seat, anywhere, I'd be happy. <laughs> I traveled so much before 2020. There's part of me that's been nice it's kind of to be grounded in New York City, but damn, I miss travel. You're like, oh, I'm itching. I gotta, I gotta go see some other stuff. It's getting a little boring. Not boring, yeah. but just like cooped yeah. up and just. Yeah. And my godchildren in Australia, so it would be a big 24 hours to like. I'd have to go to Australia and pick them up. Would Kelly at eight, ten, twelve? Would she be happy with where you are now and what you're doing? Yes, yes, because Kelly, twelve and under, still saw the big potential and possibility. She still had big dreams. She probably, she'd probably put her like fists on her waist and in her, she was often told she was bossy. That Kelly would look at me and say, damn, it took you a long time. <laughs> I gave you this great foundation for your first 12 years. What took you so long? Yeah. But you found her. You brought her back to the world. Brought her back. Brought her back. Yeah, because like, there's an element of, I think, sadly with women that, whether it is a societal entrenched kind of notion of scarcity, maybe it's people being protective. I think we can squeeze the ambition out of young girls and tell them it's not possible rather than every crazy idea they have selling them, you go for it, right? We, somehow everyone wants us to fit in and keep your head down, do good work, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that younger Callie should be like, Oh, about damn time. I've been bored for a while. The last question is, what do you want to accomplish either personally, professionally, or both in the next six to 12 months? I want a damn vaccine. My goal in the next six to 12 months, stay healthy, keep my sense of humor, get vaccinated, because there's a whole lot more I want to accomplish. And then I have been doing a lot of work helping women build their networks to distinguish networking from networks. There's a lot of studies and research on the networks women need to be successful and successful women have a different network structure. And so helping women understand that so that they can build or amplify or fine tune the networks that they need for their big dreams and ambitions. My two takeaways from my conversation with Kelly are first, the importance of surrounding yourself with people who interest you and could open doors rather than specific titles. But first and foremost, it's the power of the relationships that you build. Second, it doesn't matter where you start, just where you go.